And welcome back, everyone. So now we have Stain, one of the, the, the recent speakers to have spoken. It is still day two. We're kind of getting closer towards the, the end of the day. Um, but it's, it's good to have you. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you, Alfie. Appreciate it. Um, so I, I guess, firstly, what, are you, what were you sharing with everyone today? So I was sharing this idea of being an optimist. Mm-hmm. And I guess the three main points about being an optimist Mm-hmm. is that problems are inevitable mm. and they always will be. They're necessary because we need them for progress. Mm-hmm. The second point, I guess, is around all problems are soluble with this okay. caveat as long as they adhere to the laws of physics. Mm. And then the last problem, last point is we can solve these problems because we can build the necessary knowledge to do that. So mm-hmm. as human species, we have this ability to create knowledge and solve problems. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially the three core points of the optimist. Yeah. How do you apply that to you know, mm. general life, uh, at your job, at, in society, mm. and you know, as we design things? Amazing, amazing. That sounds very interesting. So there's just one thing that I'd maybe like you to elaborate on a little bit. What, the second point you said, prob- all, all problems are soluble as long as they adhere to the laws of physics. Yeah. What do you mean by solu- soluble? So all problems can be solved. So ah, okay. whatever problem you see, that problem can be solved. Mm. As long as they kind of live in this space of the laws of nature. Okay. You, you know, you can't defy the laws of nature. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. That's a, like, and I think it, it is good. Um, it's an important thing to talk about. Because it's sometimes a little, it, it can seem a little bit... Um, abstract to tell people the, the, the value of being an optimist um, but it actually has tangible outcomes and it changes your, mi- your, your mindset in some ways and maybe that's something that you, I don't know if you want to expand on a little yeah. bit like what results if you yeah. could put it that way have you gotten from this idea of being an optimist yeah so what is the impact of the problem on our lives mm. when we encounter a problem whether that's a conflicting situation with someone at work or an actual design problem how does that make us feel? What is mm-hmm. the impact? Now, sometimes it makes us feel demotivated or yeah. disconnected. But with the worldview that problems are soluble, can be solved, mm. we can find the necessary kind of um, solutions to solve this problem. Yeah. We can find you know, the drive to solve these problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can get through you know, these negative emotions. Okay, that's amazing. And I think it, it, it is good to know because it, it, it's easy to, to sort of push mindset to the side and think that it's not a tangible aspect. But um, especially, and maybe I'm a little bit biased because I feel like I am an optimist. <laughs> um, but it, it, it can be useful. Granted, I think there is also like the flip side to being an optimist. When you are an optimist, you maybe tend to take chances that are not always in, in your yeah. best interest. But I guess it's part of the process of solving those problems. Um, so maybe tell me, tell me a little bit about like when you, when you aren't speaking at conferences and impressing everybody with your, with your knowledge, what do, you, what do you do? Well, for starters, <laughs> I heard kids. <laughs> okay. That together. is a full-time job. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've got a family. Mm-hmm. I, I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Nice. And I, besides, you know, just being a dad, mm. I, I do gardening, I write about things, I, okay. I um, you know, sp- spend time with my family and uh, mm-hmm. things like that. So, so there's that bit. 
And then in terms of work-wise, I assume that's what you also... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm, I'm one of the lead product designers at Luna, which is a cryptocurrency nice. wallet. Mm -hmm. And the goal, the mission is to put crypto in everyone's hands, which is an enormously big problem. Yeah. Like everyone. What is, everyone is, is a lot. Everyone is you. Everyone is that person. Everyone is, you know, the person uh, in the big mansion, the person, you know, wherever else. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's everyone. Like, how do we do that? That's a massive problem. Yeah. So specifically at Luna, I'm part of the customer-facing security, which, nice. which comes down to making sure that your money stays safe. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I've been at Luna for about four years and worked on various kinds of parts of the business. Mm -hmm. But yeah, right now I'm customer facing security. Amazing, amazing. You know, like there's something that's, that's, that's kind of interesting about not the space you're in, but I don't think it's not necessarily unique to, you know, mm. uh, to Luna. Um, when you're working with like cutting edge tech now, I mean, like cryptocurrency has been around for quite a while, but in some senses it's still pretty cutting edge. In comparison, for example, to the banks, the telcos, the insurance companies, how have you found dealing with, like, in some ways, a new conceptual landscape? Like, do you find that that it's been challenging, different? Yeah. What's been your your experience so far? Challenging is a good word. Mm -hmm. Challenging because you have all of these layers that people bring to investing their money. Mm -hmm. There's trust. There's distrust. There is you know, complexity of how to navigate a product, which mm -hmm. is maybe the easier part. Mm. I think the hardest part is probably, you know, getting through my beliefs about crypto. You know, mm. it's a scam or, you know, it's, yeah. uh, I can't afford it. I can't afford Bitcoin. So I would say that the hardest part about, you know, the space that we're working in is to, you know, create a new narrative mm -hmm. around crypto. Like crypto is for everyone. Yeah. And it's, it helps if you can play the long game. Mm -hmm. If you if you don't you know just see it as a I want to get rich quickly. If I see it as you know this is something for my future, something for my kids' future, mm -hmm. then your strategy changes and you look different at, different yeah. at it. So yeah, so it's a bit about that. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And I have to say, so I mean, I I've I've got a lunar account and I've put away a little bit of money. Cool. One of the things that 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 really struck me about using it is it feels like. Like a lot of the same feelings you get from a bank, you mm -hmm. get from yeah. Luna. Yeah. Except there's nothing in between you and your account. Yeah. It's sort of like you can just decide to sign up and create an account and deposit money immediately yeah. without any engaging with other things, having to, you know, I mean, you do need to send your documents, but you can do it with your phone. Yeah. And it's like your, your understanding of what it means to invest or what it means to transact. Yeah. changes when there aren't any barriers like that. Yeah. And I found that to be quite interesting. Yeah. So, so I guess it's a digital or a technology aspect to that. And mm. any, any company, whether you're a crypto company or not, mm. can have that efficiency or that mm. ease of use. You know, everything is digital. You know, there are many insurance companies that are like new insurance, mm. you know, like a Naked or a Pineapple. Pineapple and so yeah. on. Mm -hmm. So they have that same experience. Mm. There's, there's another layer to this, which is around... Um, you know, the, the money is yours. Yes. So given, given that you, and there's different strategies for, so the, what Luno does and, and crypto exchanges and wallets is create an easy on-ramp for you to go from fiat, which is your mm -hmm. government-issued currency, to cryptocurrency. So mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of the role that they play. 
So if you keep your money on the exchange or the, the wallet, then you don't have full control over that. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. You know, for many people, that's, that's good, including yeah. myself and you know, most other people. The everyday. There, there is a part of this which is, which is quite amazing, I think, and that is that you could move that to mm. a hardware wallet where you're in control of that money. Like, no one can do anything with it. Like, mm. if, if wallet X just shuts down, like, for example, FTX is a good example. FTX, number two exchange in the world. Yesterday, bank run, massive bank run. People can't get their money out. Okay? Really? Yes. So, so that's, a, that's, <laughs> a, that's a classic example of not your keys, not your coins. Mm. Now, I think individuals need to decide, like, whether they trust the, the exchange or the wallet provider or not. Mm. Uh, but I guess the point that I want to make is, is, is that there is this layer of, um, you know, I own my money versus yeah. an centralized organization owns it, which is, mm. I think, quite beautiful in, in itself. Yeah, the, the potential is pretty, pretty like, I think it, it also, it, it requires a mindset change. Yeah. Because the other thing for me that was also very interesting about using Luna was, not thinking about currency the way I usually think about yeah. it. Because in some ways, up until now, the way we've thought about currencies, in some ways a representation of the country that that currency is yeah. found. Yeah, yeah. But now suddenly you've got currencies that are not pegged to a country. It's just sort of a exactly. currency out there. Exactly. Um, it's, and there's less manipulation. Mm-hmm. Very true. So Very true. if we look at... You're not at the, the, the mercy of the governments. Exactly. <laughs> and we, we've seen that in Venezuela, Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, true. And we're seeing it now playing out in many other... Other countries, um, other especially post COVID, like there's yeah. so much economic turmoil that yeah. a lot of countries are having to do yeah. short term thinking to actually resolve the issues at hand. Yeah. Um, and then maybe one one other thing that I like to do um, in the in the show is to get to know a little bit more of the origin story. Like, what is the background and how did you get into um, into this space? Just especially because, and one of the things we're trying to do with this podcast is give people coming up into the industry, the generations following us, an idea of you know, because it's easy to see somebody either on TV or in this big company, um, and to see them there and believe that it's too far out of your reach. Yeah. But even, essentially, all of our stories are just like you know stumbling around until we find a place that that, that sort of fits us. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you entered this space. Okay. Uh, mm. So I started out as a geologist. Okay. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Oh, no. I'm kidding. <laughs> So I couldn't see myself digging rocks for the rest of my life. So I shifted gears and mm. I'm not going to tell the whole story now, but I ended yeah. up landing in startup world mm-hmm. as, as, as a designer. Yeah. And that was uh, 12 years, 14 years ago. Mm. And that's kind of where my design, that's where my UX design journey started. Before that, mm. I, uh, I was introduced to more... Uh, forming type of things like 3D, okay. 3D modeling, animation, motion graphics, those kind of things. So I had a mm-hmm. bit of that as a background. But once I once I got into startups, I that's kind of where I learned the bulk of what I know today. Mm. I I think what's contributed towards who I am today is probably the people that I've worked with. I, I can single out a couple of people that has had an enormous impact on my life. Mm. And you know maybe I just. I was just fortunate enough to work with some of these really smart people and, and then they helped shape my view of the world and, mm-hmm. and, and so on. And then also just various companies that, I, that, I'm, that I've worked for. Like, I, I'm really fortunate to work for, for Luna. Yeah. And it has given me exposure to so many different things, including like how do you, how do you, 
how do you design within a scale-up? You know, mm. how, how do you design in a company that goes from 150 people to 1,000 plus people in, you know, maybe a year or two? Yeah. Like, those are different types of things that you learn. That's, and few companies go through that type of scale yeah. So, So I had, you know, the startup experiences where the challenges and problems look different and they help shape who I am today. And then uh, Luno for the past four years has, uh, in a scale-up where the problems also look very different mm. again. Okay, that's amazing, and I think that's it's it's always good to hear a little bit of how um, people get to where they are. Yeah, because more often than not, it's hard to like, you know, put a connection between where they started and where they are today. Um, and maybe there's a geologist out there who will sort of <laughs> hear your story, get inspired, and join yeah. us. You exes. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I'm super grateful for you um, coming to chat with us and sharing a little bit of your background. Um, thank you. And Great. well done on your talk. Thank you so much, Alfie. Appreciate it. And have a good one further. Sure. And to everyone listening, cheers.